Welcome to the first ever Drilling Deep on video. I'm your host, John Kingston. You know, we started Drilling Deep at the end of 2019 as a platform where we could talk about diesel and we could talk about oil, and but from the perspective of a trucker and what a trucker needs to know or, or a rail company or anybody exposed to the price of diesel. But we also started it as a platform to interview, at this point, literally hundreds of some of the interesting people in the supply chain. The problem is that Drilling Deep was an audio-only podcast, and in the FreightWaves world, that meant it wasn't being distributed over our FreightWaves TV or some of our other platforms. That's the place where we speak directly to the world of freight, and I decided I want to be there. I want Drilling Deep on FreightWaves TV. So no more audio-only. Now we're here in video on FreightWaves TV and on all the other major podcast platforms, so you are really watching history today. We still will have a guest of the week. And this week, it's Andrew Leon. He is the CEO of Dispatch, a last mile delivery platform. He's going to speak about not only his business, but where he sees his business as fitting in with the whole California situation with AB5, Prop 22, and how it might impact the drayage community. But now, let's talk about oil. And let's talk about the fact that if all you looked at this week was the price of diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange, you'd think, what a boring week after so much volatility and so much excitement. As I record this, the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME uh, has, for the last three days, that's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, basically did pretty much nothing. It moved up about two cents in three days. And when you compare that to some of the crazy volatility we've had in recent weeks, that really seems pretty boring. I will tell you that on Thursday, which is today when I'm recording this, it is up somewhat. But you need to look a little closer. That stability has come even as the price of crude is plummeting. Since August 30th, the price of crude through Wednesday was down almost $10 per barrel. It continued to slide this week, and yet diesel just sat there doing not much of anything, which means really it was doing something. It was reflecting the continued relative tightness of the diesel market. Yes, the crude market is easing up. It looks like the sanctions against Russia by both governments and by private companies to not take its crude are breaking down, not so much breaking down, but the uh, but the Russians are finding other outlets for their sales. And right now, Russian production appears to be pretty much back to where it was before it invaded Ukraine. It's easy to blame tight refining capacity as the reason for tighter diesel markets, but that ignores the fact that gasoline is not reflecting this kind of strength against crude, and gasoline comes from the same refineries that produce diesel. And how strong is diesel? There are lots of ways to measure it beyond the outright price, but here's one, and it's really simple. You take the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME, and you compare it to the price of Arbob gasoline. Arbob is an unfinished gasoline product that people trade as the, really a proxy for finished gasoline. Think of Arbob as gasoline without the ethanol. That spread Wednesday finished a little more than a dollar, a little more than a dollar twenty-seven per gallon. That's diesel being a dollar twenty-seven per gallon more than gasoline, more than Arbob. And as far as I can tell, except for one day in April, when the diesel contract was getting squeezed right before it expired, that is the widest differential possibly ever. What's going on here? Well, we continue to have extremely tight diesel inventories. The U.S. stocks of ultra-low sulfur diesel, ULSD, barely rose last week, and they are at about 80% of normal. And there's the other factor that I have mentioned here before, natural gas. Not so much in the U.S., but that matters too but international natural gas, particularly in Europe. There's a benchmark price in Europe called the Dutch TTT price. It has dropped considerably in recent weeks, 
It's down more than 40% during that time. But the fact remains it remains elevated compared to historic norms. Given the ability to substitute diesel for natural gas in a lot of applications, the high price of natural gas continues to be bullish for diesel, and you don't see that in gasoline. It may be a down from where it was not all that long ago, but by any measure, it is still high. And I continue to believe that there's been a structural shift in diesel. The regulation known as IMO 2020 that governs the fuel that goes into ships has led to an increase in diesel consumption. I don't have enough time to go through the whole process here. Maybe we'll save that for another upcoming episode, but you'll just have to trust me on this. That rule kicked in at the start of 2020, but its full impact on diesel was delayed by the start of the pandemic. And now it's back in full force and it's happening even as marine demand has been slumping. As I've said before, the price of crude is always going to have the biggest impact on the price of diesel. But if the spread between crude and diesel has moved to a permanently higher level, you're going to eventually pay that differential at the pump. Time to move on now here on Drilling Deep. And I'm about here to tell you that you are about to see history. We are about to have our first video guest here on this, the first video edition of Drilling Deep. He's Andrew Leone. He's uh, he's the first guest, as I said, right here in the first week of September 22nd, 2022. Andrew is the CEO of Dispatch, which is involved in the last mile. And Andrew, I'm going to let you uh, talk a little bit about more what it does in a second. But right now, I, I looked over your, your profile on LinkedIn, and I saw you played college hockey. And as you may notice, I've got a New York Islander logo over my shoulder. So I got to ask you, who do you root for on the ice? Uh, it's, it's well, the wild, first and foremost, right? Uh, from Minnesota, we have a big hockey culture at Dispatch, a lot of hockey players. So um, it's, it's pretty fun to see a lot of new time hockey players, too. All right. Well, the Wild surprised people last year by being pretty good. So uh, maybe you'll have a better year. <laughs> That's right. So, Andrew, why don't you tell, so. tell, tell me and, and, and our viewers about Dispatch? I know it's a last mile company, but boy, that's such a big umbrella these days. It covers so much that uh, so many last mile companies do so many different things. What does Dispatch do? Yeah, I mean, at, at, you know, our goal is just to simplify, simplify, you know, last mile delivery. And we, we really focus on this B2B industrial distribution segment of the market. It's, you know, it's fairly underserved, traditionally has had their own internal fleets to, to do local delivery. So we just aggregate that demand, use our, our software to optimize it, and then, you know, serve it up to, to drivers to take, take the work. So you're talking primarily about industrial customers as your base. Yeah, exactly. So our, our main focus is, you know, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, building material, those types of verticals. Right now, of course, a lot of people, when they think of last mile, they always think of something getting de- de- delivered by Amazon or by DoorDash or something like that. So previous to having a last mile in the industrial sector, how did distribution of product work? Yeah, you know, often it was it was done on internal truck routes called the milk truck run. So, you know, regional, you know, distributors would load up a, a box truck, run around town, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday on this t- side of town, Tuesday, Thursday on the other drop off product and replenish, you know, the, the customer's warehouses. Um, so that's typically how it's been, you know, done. But like you said, the rising cost, you know, or Amazon and everybody, um, I'm going to repeat that. So that's traditionally how it's been done. Um, with the rise of the on-demand economy, you know, Amazon, Uber, Lyft, you start to be able to track your toilet paper to your door, you know, as a consumer. And then as a, a professional tradesperson, I have no idea where product was. And so they put a lot of pressure um, on this space to do things faster, more efficiently. And, and that's where we step in. Yeah, I mean, a former boss of mine, I know he and his son created a last mile uh, platform for oil field equipment. And it was 
the kind of thing previously. You, you, somebody who needed that equipment would go to some big warehouse, some big distributor and buy it and have to transport it themselves. So I know that they're pretty successful. They, they created a new niche. Sounds like you're kind of in the same area. But what really kind of attracted me to, to dispatch is I received a letter, uh, not a letter, <laughs> an email uh, from one of your representatives who said that you felt the dispatch model in combination with Prop 22 and in combination with AB5, could provide a platform for the drayage community in California. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, okay, you know, we've got different legal interpretations of the various laws there about what you can and cannot do with AB5, about what you can and cannot do under Prop 22, which, by the way, is, it continues to be under legal assault. And uh, I was just fascinated by it. So uh, you and I have not spoken previously. I didn't want to kind of ruin the surprise. I wanted you to tell me, uh, given your position uh, and presumably you've already got a base of operations in California. That's why you're looking at it. What can you do to the drainage community as it's dealing with AB5? Yeah, I'd say first and foremost, um, we've always we've always been playing by the book. You know, you know, so we waited quite a while to enter California until you know Prop 22 passed, and, and it was a little clearer on how you know software platforms like ours you know could comply with legislation. And I know there's some some uh, issues and it's still up to, to, to for debate. But um, so we went into California uh, fully ready to comply with Prop 22. And a lot of that was investing in our product to make sure we could track, you know, real time an app, make sure we were paying drivers appropriately. Um, you know, our, our goal is always to, you know, not pay the minimums that Prop 22 requires. It's to pay a lot more. Um, but we still want to make sure we were compliant, could track with that, you know, um, all those requirements, had the insurance, you know, layers needed. Um, it, but again, we're, we're a software platform, right? So what we're doing is, you know, we're optimizing loads, we're making it more efficient for drivers, more efficient for businesses. And so I see no, this no different as just a different asset class on our software, right? So we're already doing all the regulatory compliance to make sure we're protecting the worker, right? The, the, it's still an independent owner, but we're still able to make sure that the businesses are paying the right amount, insurance is taken care of. Um, and so I, I see no reason why with that infrastructure, we couldn't layer on a new, you know, call it asset class uh, on our platform. Well, first, I want to ask you about why Prop 22 applies to you, because I know I wrote a few articles about Prop 22. And my what I thought was that it was always written, aimed at um, gig drivers doing kind of a final mile, delivering food for delivering people like an Uber or Lyft or delivering food for DoorDash. And of course, those were the three companies that most vociferously backed Prop 22. They were the ones that expected to be most affected by it and benefit from it. I guess your legal interpretation was that uh, you were going to be you were going to come under AB5, and that Prop 22 gave you a window out of it. Is that is that the correct view of dispatch, or is that is that the view of dispatch? Yeah, absolutely. We we still follow follow under uh, Prop 22. Um, you know, our driver is an independent contractor based driver has been for for decades. We're we're in you know. Um, about 60 markets across the country. Um, and this space has traditionally been an independent, you know, contractor driven space. Now, right now, our focus is, you know, call it under 3000 pounds of material. So it is smaller, smaller parcel. Um, and there is different requirements by state based on weights and um, in other licenses, you know, right. So we'd have to dig into that deeper to make sure that that component, um, you know, was being met. But but yeah, for what we do today, we absolutely uh, fall fall under Prop 22. All right, so you're a typical driver who's driving for dispatch. What kind of vehicle are they driving? You said something like 3,000 pounds. Well, actually, that was the size of the 
uh, the delivery I guess you're making. So what are they driving? Are they mostly driving box trucks? Or are they driving pickup trucks or maybe a variety of them? Yeah, uh, primarily right now our focus is on sprinter vans, right? Um, so cargo, cargo vans and smaller. So we do have a, a range. You know, our, our our core focus is this industrial distribution segment. So, you know, we really focus on the the sprinter vans that can handle a multi-skid, you know, lar- and, you know, sheets of uh yeah plywood and uh, trim work and, and stuff like that um but we do have smaller vehicles as well we'll have you know the gig driver you know driving a, a prius um a lot of our our core drivers though really are you know ones that have been self-employed for a long time they have other work for other from other local couriers um and we're able to give them just additional demand uh, to fill out their day so do i assume that previously if you wanted to use their services you went in the yellow pages and you found them under drivers or moving or something like that. And you call them up and ask them. And now you can use the dispatch app to access them. Is that really the big change? Yeah, it's a big part of it. That or they would partner with local couriers, right? Um, to, to These drivers are really looking for different revenue streams. So they'll use local couriers. They'll build their own book of business. Um, you know, what we do is really, uh, we make it simple from a national you know, scale standpoint. So we can partner with larger enterprises do integrations into their ERP software, make it far easier for them to put orders in on the platform, which then gives you know more work to drivers because we're able to aggregate all of that demand across the country, but then give it to local you know, independent owners that want to fulfill the work. What might be the longest trip that one of your drivers uh, undertakes? Yeah, you know, typically um, it's fairly hyper-local, right? I'd say under 50 miles. Um, occasionally, though, it's it's far more cost effective to just to you know run it 300 miles. We've seen you know ones from like let's just say the Twin Cities in Minnesota up to the Iron Range, northern Minnesota, because a plant's down and they need they need some part, and that's just the fastest way. And they're looking at again, it's a, like a revenue cost, you know, versus the cost of material. It's really about um, that that opportunity cost of doing more work. So a lot of material we ship, it's actually not so much tied to the material price as it is you know the throughput for the skilled workers that are doing the the, the jobs. All right. So would, would most of your drivers have a CDL? I would seem to me that they could drive a van. You don't, I don't think you need a CDL for that. No, you don't. No, most of them, most of them don't. I mean, some of them do. We, we have drivers that, that have larger vehicle types. I mean, actually the inbound is, it's quite high. Um, we're not quite ready to add that type of vehicle type. Again, there's some additional regulation, insurance requirements, things that we have to make sure are in place um, to be compliant with various state uh, you know, agencies. But the the vast the vast majority of our drivers you know can use a normal license, um, and they'll go invest in in this you know call it third asset you know they can't quite take their their kids to soccer practice in a in a sprinter van right so it's really used for their their core business of doing delivery work. Yeah, so um, I, I gather these are probably not uh, former truck drivers because if they've got that CDL, presumably they want to kind of stay in that field. But maybe some of your drivers are, or are they others who just felt the uh, you know, they know how to drive and their license is good enough. It, this is kind of fascinating to me as an opportunity. Yeah, actually, we see more and more of CDL drivers, you know, that, that jump on our platform. Now, they're not driving, you know, they're, they're, they're larger trucks. They're driving, you know, cargo vans or they'll, they'll lease them, you know, because they're, they're looking at, all right, I, I still need revenue. And they're running their own business. You know, this is just another avenue for them to make, you know, to bring in more revenue and, and you know, provide for their families. And so um, we are seeing, an, you know, increase in drivers that have, I'd say, more advanced credentials um, that are driving under, you know, in, in vehicles that you don't need that. But um, yeah, it's an interesting time with what's going on in supply chain and how it's all evolving. All right, let's go back to the subject that I mentioned earlier. And that, as I said, caught my eye uh, when I heard from your uh, media representative, which is that you feel that you are, that you are set up to provide drayage operations, uh, which presumably would get companies away from AB5. That's, that's the way I read it, that it was a, 
that it was sent to me. So why don't you talk about where you are legally and why you think that you can provide uh, alternatives or uh, opportunities for the Dreyage community that might be able to the skirt, I hate to say skirt because that sounds illegal, but it might be able to avoid some of the more onerous parts of AB5. Yeah, I think it comes down to, um, you know, what we are being a you know, software platform. You know, it, this isn't our core, you know, what we do isn't delivery. It's, it's you know, op- optimizing supply uh, and demand, right? Uh, and and giving efficient routes and, you know, uh, ways to parse delivery out, right? And streamline that. Um, and so, Based on our interpretation, again, we, we're not at the point where we would, you know, jump into this space right away um, without making sure we complied with everything. Um, but I think what what Prop Twenty Two does, I think, is a great solution to the, what they're trying to solve. Right? The, I think what the regulators are trying to solve is protecting protecting people. Right? Making sure they they are paid livable wages, making sure they're paid, you know, are covered if they have an accident. Right? Um, and it's a balance between that and. Uh, people that want to work for themselves. They want to be, you know, independent contractors. AB5 has all sorts of carve-outs car because of that, right? There's loads of businesses um, that have been running under an independent contractor model for a long time. So what what the AB5 is forcing certain businesses to do is like change the whole business model. And I think there's solutions that can, you know, account for both. And like it or not, the big pocketbooks of these larger marketplace businesses have really, you know, clarified that for the Ubers, Lyft, DoorDashes, right? Um, to, to pave the way of, hey, we can do both. We can protect, protect the individual, make sure that they're, they're not being, um, you know, they're not prey, right? We're not we're treating them fairly, but then, you know, also let them be independent. And I think it sets the stage for for where this can all go. Um, and platforms like, like us want to make sure we're in a position for that. So uh, I wouldn't say that today, absolutely, we could do it. But I do think um, this this is a solution, I think. And it's, I think it's a, an appropriate solution. Um, it allows the truck drivers to stay independent and, you know, using software, you can, you can manage this at scale. It's much harder to do when you're looking at how often are they actually driving for me, right? We, because of data and technology, we can, we can look at that down to the, the second, the mile, the however you want to, you know, slice that. We can see when the driver is working on our platform, when they're not, and, and truly, you know, better protect them that to make sure that they are making, um, you know, livable wages and they are, are covered by insurance. Now, you'd have to move this into a whole new field because the drivers that you're employing and the kind of vehicles that they're driving are not capable of pulling a container, I guess, maybe a small chassis, um, you know, with one of the smaller box containers. But if you're talking about the major, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm going to reveal my ignorance here how long the, the average container is, uh, you know, 50 feet or whatever. Uh, you know, you need, a, you need a truck and you need a full chassis. So how do you get into that field given that the the vehicles that have been using your platform are not the type that I would think would would be able to uh, grab a hold of a drayage drayage opportunity. No, and we, and we quite honestly we couldn't we couldn't do that today. Our vehicle types could not couldn't handle that. The only way you could solve that problem is if you were able to you know um, you know uncart the the container right. If you were to pull the skids off container and material off the container, absolutely. We have a fleet fleet that could handle that. You still have to deal with the container. Um, but you know, and that's not that's not efficient, right? It, it's much more efficient to take the container to where it's supposed to go. Um, but it is a, it is a stopgap, you know, if it came down to it. Um, when there's you know a big enough bottleneck, prices go up at some point. You have to fix it, right? Um, and find solutions, and that that would be you know, uh, I call it a very band-aided solution, you know, to that. But um, again, I think I think there's a lot of opportunity in the future if if we pay attention to this space and look at ways to solve the problems on, on both sides. Um, I think Prop 22 is a great, a great starting point. 
I've got to think you've got some lawyers working for you out in California, <laughs> just to have gotten involved in the business. And now you're talking about Prop 22, which, as we know, has been declared unconstitutional on a, I won't call it a technicality, uh, but it, you know, in violation of some workers' compensation rules out in California. I couldn't really explain it. It's been so long. And I did check recently, and the, the Prop 22 appeal is continuing, or that, that ruling that it's unconstitutional. Uh, the appeal continues with nothing really in the offing. Um, you've got some legal people out there. What are they telling you? Yeah, I, absolutely. We do. Um, we pay a lot of attention to this and, you know, a big part again of going into California, we just expanded to California in, in June. Um, I've wanted to go to California for a very long time. Like, so is my co-founder. Um, it's, you know, one of the largest GDP, you know, country equivalents out there. It's an absolutely, you know, massive market. Um, but we've also wanted to make sure we were complying, right. We, that we were being above board. Um, we weren't just going in, Wanting forgiveness later, so we we spent a lot of money on legal resources to to make sure that we were you know complying with various you know pieces of the law and feel very comfortable that we are. I mean, we're we're um we, we've done all the work. It's been a lot of prep work, but uh, we're we're in a good spot now. So, if Prop Twenty Two is ruled unconstitutional, if on, if on appeal the earlier court ruling that it's unconstitutional is upheld, do you think you'd still stay in the state, or are you kind of banking on it eventually being being ruled? legitimate. I mean, having the earlier court decision overturned and proposition Prop 22 stands. Yeah, absolutely. We'll stay in the state. You know, prices go up. I think that, I think the reality of it is you're adding a layer of, of middleman that you, you really don't need. So take, you know, what we would be do, doing is we'd be onboarding more courier companies that are w, have W2 employees, right? Rather than going directly to the individual that's doing the work and, and giving them a higher, you know, uh, higher earnings per, per hour, if you will, or per, per load. Um, we'd have to then, instead of going to them directly, they would have to become an employee of a local courier company or other outfit. We would then put them on our software. And so really all you're doing is adding costs to the, the final user, really the consumer at the end of the day, um, and, and robbing the actual operator of, of earnings, right? So, um, I'm a big believer of like, you know, these are, these are entrepreneurs. These are business people. Um, and, and we're, we're helping, you know, business people providing, you know, opportunity for them to grab more work if they choose on our platform. Uh, and, and we love that model. I think it's great. I think we're complying with every piece of it. If they did get repealed, um, then that's that's what we do. Our our service is still very valuable to both, you know, especially the enterprise because we're able to, you know, streamline their operations nationally, and then you know, really then um, make it efficient at a local level. We just have to use a, a local um, you know provider that has W two employees at that point, and that just adds cost. Right. They're kind of you know, like almost like the two check system that's been proposed for AB five. One thing I've been told now in doing this on video is that I can't just ramble on and end whenever I want to. I kind of have to keep it on time. So we only got a few minutes. Let's talk about your funding. You you raised $50 million fairly recently. What does that bring the dispatch capitalization to? And uh, what, are you, what are you doing with that money? You, you, you said essentially you're a software platform. So I'm assuming you're looking to hire a lot of programmers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's about, I think about $72 million in total. Um, a big, a big focus for us is R and D, obviously, as a software company, uh, and then market expansion. So we have a SaaS component to our software as well that allows uh, internal fleet management. So, you know, really a large enterprise that has some level of final mile delivery can put everything on our platform. We can route and manage their internal fleet, and then roll anything over to our marketplace. You know, when they can't handle that, we can give them analytics and data back to to help them be more efficient with their existing assets. Um, also show them areas of opportunity where it makes more sense to outsource to to local providers. Um, so so reinvesting in that again, scale expansion, a lot of good things ahead. I'm very excited. 
So no need for a new raise. I mean, you, you're still digesting the one you just, how long ago was that? That was fairly recent, wasn't it? Yeah, the spring. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, our, our goal is, uh, is always to be a forever company and manage capital in a way that is truly for, for growth and expansion. Um, so that if we choose not to take it, it's not, you know, it's not needed in the future, but if there's opportunity, whether it be additional organic growth, you know, you know, M and A, whatever it may be that, that we could always go back and, and hopefully attract more. Well, good luck to you. And when the whole Prop 22 situation is finally resolved, I definitely want to have you back on because if you've got a lot of lawyers out there, then, then you'll be well informed. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time. It was very fun. Well, we want to we want to thank Andrew Leone, uh, not only for being on Drilling Deep, but being the first ever video guest here on Drilling Deep. Thanks again, Andrew. You have been watching. I used to say now you have been listening to, but now I can say you have been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. And now you can find Drilling Deep on Freightwave TV. I've been your host, John Kingston. And please join us again.